All right, well, good morning, Salem. Hey, this week um, I had the, the wonderful uh, privilege of spending some time uh, with uh, three extraordinary gentlemen from this church, uh, Royce Adam, Adamson, I hope I just said that right. I didn't actually look how to spell your last name. Um, uh, Greg Nellermo and uh, Bob Hannestad. So just tremendously wonderful, uh, wonderful guys, godly men. And so if you don't know them, I encourage you. They don't know I'm saying this, but get to know them. They're awesome, awesome guys. And so just we're increasing community, right? Um, and uh, so, but we were down in the cities. Uh, we, we got the opportunity to go uh, to the uh, Twins-Cubs game, which notice I said Twins first, so I'm being respectful because uh, I am a huge Cubs fan. Uh, just all my heart right there. Je- Jesus, wife, Cubs, you know, Eden, Cubs, something like that. So, uh, yeah, so big deal. But we were down there, and uh, it's a city that's very unfamiliar to me. And, uh, and so uh, after the game was over, they were dropping me off at my hotel. And, uh, and as we were driving, I could hear uh, the directions on my phone or on uh, Royce's phone. You know, you could see it says turn right, uh, turn left, turn right, turn right, turn left, right? And it's amazing to me uh, how simple life can be with, with Google Maps, right? Do you remember a time when those things didn't exist, right? And you had to like unfold the map like a silly person in your car and is super dangerous because it like covers the whole windshield while you're driving. Um, like it's amazing to me how much simpler life is because of Google Maps. And the reality is, is it really does. It's just so easy and it makes life so much simpler. Um, but I would, I would um, potentially uh, argue with you. I mean, maybe this happens. I don't know if this has ever happened before. Maybe this has happened to you before. Um, but have you ever seen like somebody stopped at an intersection uh, with their phone giving them directions, say right or go left, and them bargaining or debating with the instructions? Have you ever seen anybody do this? Probably not. I would guess. I mean, maybe it's happened, but like, you know, if it says turn right, and you're like, ah, you know, I just I don't, I don't really think we should turn right. I think we should turn left. I think we should go straight. You just don't see this happening because we trust that Google Maps has the right information that we need to get where we need to go, right? Because Google Maps knows um, where the one-way streets are, which, by the way, in the cities, like, they're, they're everywhere. And, and the turn lanes are not, not well marked and all those things. Like, I had difficulty navigating. It was like turn left, and then I'm like in the wrong lane. Like, I felt like a silly person. It's just hard. It's just challenging. So it knows where the one-way streets are. It knows where the traffic is. It knows where the accidents are, right? It knows even the fastest route to get from one place uh, to the other, right? And that's, that's why we trust it. And, and we just go left or right and left or right. And we do kind of like just blindly, blind faith. We do what it says. And let's just be honest. If you choose to, to do something different than what it tells you, uh, your life will get a little bit harder, <laughs> right? Because you all of a sudden have to enter into like what we might call reorientation, <laughs> Because Siri or Google Maps will say, in you know, 50 feet, do a U-turn and go around. Uh, or in three quarters of a mile, make a right, and then you have to go all the way around everything. And there's this reality for us is that like, driving gets more challenging and difficult when we don't do what it says that we're supposed to do. And we have to constantly hit the recenter button. Recenter, recenter, recenter. Recenter. And you could probably guess where we're going with this, right? right? There's this reality. This is a metaphor for how we follow or how we don't follow Jesus. 
right? Because Jesus, oftentimes in life, he says, hey, Seth, I want you to go to the right. I want you to go over here. And I'm like, really? You Do you? Are you sure? And I bargain with him. Because I don't think we should go right. When, G- when Jesus is like, hey, Seth, here's what I want you to do. You know that, that neighbor who's constantly passive-aggressive and constantly wearing on your nerves, that person? Yeah, Jesus, I know that person. I know him well. I'd rather not know them well. And he's like, I want you to know them well. And I'm like, no, that's a right turn. I want to go left, right? And we need to reorient in these, these moments. And it's not just these, the big things. It's also in small things in life. When Jesus is like, hey, Seth, like, I want you to sit, maybe sit at the coffee shop. You and I, let's sit together at the coffee shop and let's pray for all the people here. That's a right turn. Let's do that. Ah, Jesus, let's just, what if we just watched YouTube instead? Like, what if we watched Dude Perfect? Like, let's just do something fun. You know, let's just do something way more fun than that. And we, and we find ourselves bargaining in both big and small things in life. Do you ever do this? Do you ever bargain with Jesus? I feel like we all do. I feel like we all do this at different times in our life. And here's the reality, is that for you and me, every single person in this room, it is far too easy for us to find ourselves in the I'd rather be a Christian category than a Christ follower category. It's really easy for every single one of us to find ourselves. And I just, I want the easy route. I want the much easier, much simpler way to do this rather than the hard way. And we find, when we find ourselves in this, I'd rather be a Christian than a Christ follower category, it doesn't make us bad Christians, okay? That's not at all the case. But what it does mean is that there is this need for reorientation, that I need to hit recenter, recenter, recenter all of the time. I need to refocus. I need to change my attitude and hit recenter, and I need to follow Jesus. When he says, here's where we're going, that's where, that's where I'm going. If he says right, I go right, and if he says right, I don't go left. I need to hit recenter. And so here's the thing. Like, following Jesus is, is not at all as easy as following Google Maps. That's super easy, isn't it? It says right, you just go right. It's not that easy. In fact, following Jesus is very, very, very hard. Very hard. And we're going to see that this morning. Okay? But here's what I want you to see. Just because following Jesus is, is not easy, it is very simple. It's very simple. Because when he says right, we go right. Even though that's not easy, it's very hard. It's not easy, but it is very simple. Right? So before we jump into that, um, I just want to introduce myself. My name is Seth. I'm one of the pastors uh, here uh, at Salem. And if you're new, I just want to welcome you. Uh, it's just it's so great for me to continuously, even after this last year, just get to know people, new, new people on a weekly basis. Just love, 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 love meeting new people. So we're excited that you're here. And this next week, we're jumping into a new series, like Kent said, on uh, Ephesians, the letter of Ephesians, called Rooted. And it's going to be awesome. And so we want to invite you back into that. Uh, but this week, we are finishing um, up a, a short three-week series uh, on disciple-making, this Cave Table Road stuff. And you say, Seth, why do we keep coming back to this? Um, Here's why. Because Jesus said, go make disciples. That's why, right? And it's something that's easy for us to miss. 
And there's this need for reorientation in our lives. And so super, I think tremendously important for each of us to be on this journey, to keep constantly asking the question, what does it mean to be a disciple who makes disciples who makes disciples, right? Because Jesus said, go and make disciples. And when we started this series, we started with the idea of TW, which is time with, okay? And Jesus goes into the countryside, gets some time with his disciples, and he's rubbing through, wearing his way through, and imprinting his image onto the disciples. And last week, Ken, I looked at the cave table road rhythms, and so we add that in. And this morning, we're gonna talk about multiplication. So what does it mean to be a disciple maker? So if you've got your Bible, I wanna invite you um, to open up to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter uh, nine. And we're gonna be in verses 57 uh, to 62. But I want to start with the context uh, in verse uh, 51, okay? So here's where I'm going to start in verse, in verse 51. Here's what it says. It says, when the days drew near uh, for him, that is Jesus, to be taken up, uh, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Okay, so we're just going to start right there, okay? So when he's talking about these days, the idea of being taken up, so we know that Jesus, like, like he, you know, exited the form of, of, like, spirit God and entered into, like, this, this bodily form and comes to, comes to earth and he lives fully God and fully man and eventually he dies, he's buried, he's raised again, and then there's this short period of time before he then ascends and goes back to his time with the Father, right? He goes back to God the Father. And that's what he's talking about, being taken up. And this idea of these days are drawing near is the idea of like completion. It's nearing completion. So Jesus is about to the end of his time here on earth, at least for the moment. It's nearing this perfect completion, right? It's nearing. Every day it gets closer. In fact, what we find is that if you were to read this in its chronological context is that there's about one year left, one to one and a half years or so left of Jesus' life and Jesus' ministry. So the question then is going to be, what is Jesus going to do with his last year of ministry? Because it says that he set his face to go to Jerusalem. That's a Hebrew idiom for this, this, this meaning, like this determination I'm strengthening my resolve, he says. I have to accomplish my mission on the cross. I have to do that. But how am I going to spend this final year of my ministry, this final, final year of my ministry? Okay, so I'm going to come back to our board here uh, for a second. And uh, just draw this out for us really quick, okay? So I'm just going to do a quick little triangle. Okay, and the triangle represents, um, represents like the amount of time, okay? So at the top, it's a small portion, so there's little time, and at the bottom, uh, it's wide, it's big, so there's lots of time, okay? So what we find in Jesus' ministry, in his final one to one and a half years of ministry, is that over here, Right? He spends time with the crowds. You have this, this the, the feeding of the 4,000, the feeding of the 5,000, right? And so there's this time. It's not a lot of time, but he spends time with the crowds. And in the middle here, Right? He spends time with disciples. Now, he has a group. I see these different groups or pairings of disciples, and one of which is a group of around 500 people. Okay, and one is a group of about 120, and then another group is about, um, about 70, 
okay? So he spends kind of an medium amount of time with those people. But then you get to the bottom down here in this final year. He spends an enormous amount of time with these people who we might call disciple makers. Disciple makers. So it's interesting that in Jesus' final year of ministry, he never neglects the crowds. He never neglects the crowds, but he spends the bulk of his time with these people who are the 12 or the three. You have Peter, James, and John that he spends the bulk of his time with. Right? And so we see there's these, almost these two different categories. So there's almost like this idea of disciples or discipleship and disciple making. And here I think it's important and helpful to maybe to, to show the contrast here. Because to, to discipleship is about this idea of me personally, I as a person, an individual, Seth, reorienting my life around the rhythms of Jesus, which is why Cave Table Road is so important. Authentic conversation with God, authentic conversation with family and friends around the table, and authentic conversation with the world. So it's me, personally, being molded into the image, into the mission of Jesus. But to be a disciple maker is about taking that lifestyle and multiplying it into other people. It's about intentionally inviting people into our lives so that they see and understand with new experiences what it really means or really looks like to follow Jesus. And we remember that at the, the, the goal in Luke 6.40, the goal of discipleship is Jesus says, right? A student is not greater than his teacher. In fact, but when a student is fully trained, what is he like? He is like the master. He is like the teacher. And so instead of seeing ourselves as students only, we begin to see ourselves as potential teachers. That's what a disciple maker is. And it's so important why no matter what size of church that you're in, whether you're in a church of 30 or you're in a church of of 3,000, that's why small groups, any type of group is so important. Because these smaller settings are the launching pad for disciple-making relationships. It's where disciple-making can really ultimately happen, okay? But I want you to understand, so what's, what's Jesus working with in this text? Look at, look at verse 52, okay? I just want to read this. It said, and he, that's Jesus, sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem, okay? Now, then you, you introduce these characters, right? And when his disciples, James and John, saw it. James and John are, just remember, these are, these are part of the, the three most core group of Jesus' inner circle. Peter, James, and John. So here we have two of them, James and John. So they enter into this village, and they reject Jesus. What's their response? Look at, look at what they say. Uh, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? If you're Jesus, what do you say in this moment? <laughs> no. Come on, guys, no. This is not 
this is not the way we do it. <laughs> this is an Elijah moment, right? Do you remember Elijah when he's up uh, and he's, he's dealing with the prophets of Baal and so there's all this like debate back and forth and all of a sudden fire comes down, it consumes everything. That's what the disciples are talking about here. And Jesus is like, that's not the way that we do this. We're here to build the kingdom, not to destroy it. We're here to build it, not to destroy it. And so here's what's so interesting to me. If you have one year left in your ministry and two of your three most inner core are asking for fire to consume people, guess what? You have a lot of work to do in a year, don't you? A year and a half, right? You have a ton of work to do. And so what Jesus does in this moment is that he rebukes them. No, it's not the way that we do this. And so they move on to the next town right? They move on to the next town. I guess here's what I, I mean, just as a transition, I want us to understand this, is that disciple making uh, is a slow drip process, right? It's a very slow drip process. It's a lifelong process. But for Jesus, he has one year left with these people, a little over one year left, and he's going to have to dig deep. I mean, he's going to have to dig really, really deep with these guys, isn't he? Really deep. Would you like us to call down fire? No, no, dig really deep. He's going to have to dig so deep with these guys, right? And so part of how Luke helps us understand this is Jesus is talking about discipleship and talking about the cost of following Jesus is that he introduces these three characters into the story, these three would-be disciples, these three potential would-be uh, disciples into the story, who each of them bring really good intentions, but also bring really, really good excuses or reasons not to follow Jesus, very good reasons, and yet Jesus is going to tell them, he's going to give them three challenges challenges about the cost of following Jesus, about following him. And it's not to rebuke them, I don't think. It's to warn them and to challenge them, right? He's not saying if you're like this, then you're a no good disciple. Like you're just not good, right? That's not what he's saying. But what he is going to say is that if you want to follow me, it needs a reorientation, very intentional reorientation, right? Hit the, the recenter button, recenter, recenter. And Jesus is saying, I must be first in every single area of your life. If you want to follow me, I must be first, right? These are the challenges. Okay, first challenge, uh, verse 57. It says, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man, just so you know, has nowhere to lay his head, right? I, I love the intentionality, right? This guy's willingness is, he has, so, he has great intentions, doesn't he? But I want you to stop and think about that for a moment. I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus knows where he's going. The disciple, would-be disciple, does not know. And Jesus is like, really? So you'd follow me to all the sick people? You'd follow me to the prostitutes? To the tax collectors? To all of the people who would make you unclean? To that annoying neighbor down the street? You'd follow me. Is that, is that what you would do? Right? Because that's what this looks like, Right? even to the unclean, all of those people. And we're reminded in this moment that to be a Christian in that context did not mean, hey, let's sit down and do a Bible study together. 
It didn't. It's like, Jesus, right, I will follow you. You lead me to Bible study, I'm cracking it open, I'm ready to go. Let's do this. Boom, boom, boom. I'm learning so much. This is great, right? That's not what that meant. To be a Christian in that context was to be a follower of Christ, which was a very literal thing. You had to follow him where he went, wherever he went, you had to follow. And so this man, this would-be disciple, shows great intentionality, so much great willingness, and yet Jesus wants to make sure for any would-be disciple Right? It doesn't matter how long you've been following Jesus for anybody who would want to actually, or no longer how long you've been a Christian, but if you want to follow Jesus, he says, here's what you need to know. It's not going to be easy because what we're going to do is that we're going to go from here to there and then to here and then to there and then to here and then to there and then to here and then to there and we're going to keep going. When do we come home? Uh, we don't really. I don't have a home. We're going to keep going, keep going. And it's not going to be easy, but it is simple. Follow me, right? That's what's happening here in this thing. And so Jesus isn't saying, like, hey, everybody, um, go, like, just pull out your phone, list your home on, on realtor.com and buy a tent, okay? That's not what he's saying. Don't do that. I mean, unless you feel like the Lord telling you to do that. Don't do that. Um, right? Doesn't do that. He's not, he's not talking about a home. He's not like convicting us of that. He's not challenging us about owning a home. What he's challenging us is this, is that we begin to think differently about our geography. He's challenging us to think differently about our theology, or excuse me, about our geography, right? That's what's happening in this setting. So the grocery store, okay? The grocery store is no longer the place where you go to get groceries. You can get groceries there, but the grocery store is where you are um, befriending and witnessing to the cash register. That's what Jesus is saying, right? The hockey rink is, not, is no longer the place where you go to watch your kids, although you do that because that's great. It's a celebration of life. But it's also a place where you go to invest in the parents of other kids week in and week out wherever you go, on mission, right? You're in school or your university. Guess what? Your school or university is no longer where you learn. It's a place where you teach. It's where you teach Jesus because people need it, right? That's what Jesus is challenging in this moment. And Jesus is like, hey, are you in? Are you in? That's the first challenge. Second challenge. This, the second would-be disciple uh, in... Uh, Verse 59, so they're going down the road, and, and to another person, this one, Jesus actually says to a person, he says, follow me, but he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father, and Jesus says this, this sounds so mean, it sounds so mean, he says, Jesus said, leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Right? And you come in, this, this is like a very reasonable request. This is a good thing. Let me go and bury my father, right? This is, this is super reasonable. Why is Jesus so mean? What is Jesus really saying? Because he's not being mean, I, I assure you. He's not being mean. So what is Jesus really saying? Uh, check this out. This, check out this, this, this quote. Uh, this is from the Sirach, right? This is from an old, like, near Old Testament stuff. He says, my child, let your tears fall for the dead, lay out the body with due ceremony, and do not neglect the burial. So especially in something light of this, Jesus' comments seem even worse, even, even harder. So what is Jesus saying? 
Well, here's what's happening, is that in the Hebrew context, in the Jewish context, the, the grieving of, of, a, of, a, of a close relative was up to a year long. And so what Jesus is challenging is our understanding of our time, right? Not just our geography, but also our time. He's saying this is something that you don't delay about, because this is how we bargain with Jesus. Like, Jesus, I want to follow you, but first let me fill in the blank. And we do this all the time, right? Jesus, I want to follow you, but after I indulge in sin tonight. I want to follow you, but after all of that fun stuff this weekend. I want to follow you after college, because there's so many good things and fun things, better things I could do with my time in college than follow you. I'll do it after that. Or, or man, Jesus, my job is just so busy right now, right? It's just keeping me so busy. My kids' schedules are keeping me so busy, I'll start following you a little bit more intentionally after that. It's this way that we bargain with Jesus, and he says, nope, that's not how it works. Don't delay. It starts right now. It starts right now. And when he says, let the dead bury their own dead, it's the spiritual sense, right? Those who are spiritually dead. He says, just permit it. Allow them to do that. Don't hinder them right? Because they don't know different. But you, you don't need to be focused on death. You need to be focused on life. So here's what I want you to do. I want everywhere you go to preach the kingdom. It starts right now. Are you in? That's the challenge that Jesus is asking. Third challenge, verse 61. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at my home, right? Another very reasonable, good thing. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God, right? When you look at this and you're like, man, either Jesus doesn't understand what's going on or he's just totally unsympathetic. It's just being mean. It seems like he's being mean for the sake of it, but he's not. So again, what is Jesus saying? Well, in order to understand this story, we actually have to understand another story back in the Old Testament. It's in 1 Kings chapter 19. It's about this guy named Elijah. And so he's the same guy who called down fire from heaven and consumed the altar and all that stuff. Well, near after that, like he has this fearful moment. He flees from Jezebel. He goes to a mountain. He has a come to Jesus talk. Uh, with, with, him, with God, um, and, uh, and basically he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to replace yourself. I want you to multiply. I want you to start thinking about who's going to take over when you're done. And so I want you to go find this guy named Elisha, okay? Chapter 19, verse 19. So here's what he does. It says, so he departed from there, and he found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, uh, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the 12th. And Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. This is some weird, I guess, ancient Near Eastern thing. If you say, like, you want to follow me, you just randomly throw your coat on somebody, and then you walk away. <laughs> so maybe after service, you'll see people out here just throwing their coats on people. Hey, you know what I mean. Follow me. No, I don't know what you mean. Follow me. Okay, I'll just tell you. Follow me. Let's do this together. I want to multiply myself, right? So, but here's what, here's what he says. So he leaves his oxen. He runs after Elijah, and he says, notice what Elisha says. Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then, that's the bargain, 
and then I will follow you. And Elijah, in this moment, seems to permit it, right? He says, go back again, for what have I done to you? So Elijah permits it in this moment, and yet Jesus does not seem to permit it. Jesus takes it, and he raises the ante. He takes what Elijah did with Elisha in this multiplication setting, right? And he actually ups the ante for us. And he says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is, is fit, is usable. It's like saltless salt is usable for the kingdom. And here's why. Jesus sees the danger in us. I think that, I'm going to give you two reasons why I think this is dangerous, why Jesus sees. is that when you look back, if you put your hand to the plow, Okay? You put your hand to the plow, and when you look back, and you're looking at everything that you've left behind, what do you want? Everything that's behind. Why? Because that, I guarantee you, is going to be easier than following Jesus. It's far easier. It's far easier to be, I'd rather be in a Christian category than be a Christ follower because being a Christ follower is really, really hard. It's easy to gossip rather than to be a part of the solution. It's easy to criticize rather than to encourage. It's far easier to go to church on Sundays and then disconnect all of that from the rest of my life Monday to Saturday far easier to just go to church on Sundays. It's far easier to never share the gospel at all, right? It's just far, far easier. And so when you look back, you go, man, life was easier back then. I really want that. And Jesus knows this is dangerous. It's not what we sign up for. The second thing is this, is that when you look back, if you put your hand on the plow and you look back, guess what happens in front of you? Like, where does the plow go? It goes all over the place. It messes everything up. All the crop that you're trying to plant and work with, it's ruined. It's gone. It's messed up. Right? It's the whole reason why you're out there. And if you're looking back, it's like trying to drive a car while looking in the rearview mirror. And I don't mean to drive the car backwards. I mean you're trying to drive forwards. Okay? If you want to try that, go in the parking lot, wait till everybody leaves and see what happens. It's hard. Just drive the car forward without hitting anything. Okay, I, I, just, I strike that. Don't do it. Don't do it anywhere, not even in our parking lot, okay? Right? This is hard, right? And that's what's going to happen. It's going to mess things up. And when Jesus says, I need to look back, I know there's really good things back there. There's also some really bad things that you should leave behind. But there's also really good things. But any of that is a distraction. Put your eyes forward because I, Jesus, am in front of you and I'm the one saying, follow me. Follow me. You keep your eye on me and the plow and we can do great things together. So here's what's interesting, right? I, I, love, I love that at the end of that story with Elisha and Elijah is that Elisha actually ends up sacrificing all of his cattle, right? They take them all home. They sacrifice all 12 or however many of them there are, and they feed the entire family, which must have been a huge feast, right? They feed everybody. Everybody's eating. Everyone's full, right? I don't know. Cow, like That probably doesn't have tryptophan. Everyone's probably still tired because <laughs> they ate so much. But here's what it does is that when they're leaving and as Elisha looks, as he's following Elijah, right? It's the first moment that he is tempted to go back. Man, you know what? Being a farmer was so much easier than following Elijah. I should go back up. Can't eat him. 
I ate all, my, I ate all the oxen. I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't go back because it's gone. It's everything that's in front of me, right? And so here's what I think this final challenge is that Jesus is challenging us not only to rethink about our geography, not only to rethink about our time, but he challenges us to rethink about our relationships. And I think specifically because it's Elijah and Elisha, Jesus is leading us, he's steering us towards this idea of disciple-making relationships. Who are you investing in? Who comes behind you, right? Did you know that um, early rabbis, when they wanted to wrestle with discipleship, do you know who they looked for? Do you know who they looked at for their model? Elijah and Elisha. And the goal of Elisha was not just to follow Elijah and then to sit down and go, great, what do I learn today, right? It was to go and to become like Elijah in all things. That was the goal, to become like Elijah over. That's, that's the repetition here, right? Jesus even said this, right? The goal for us is to become like him in all things, wherever he goes, there's this literal following as we go. So Jesus then challenges us in these three things, right? How we think about geography, how we think about time, and how we think about our relationships, right? Geography, like everywhere you go, everywhere you go, are you on mission? You'll be on mission. If you follow me, everywhere you go, you'll be on mission. Are you in? When he challenges your time, Right? It's not tomorrow, it's not next year, it's none of that, it starts right now. Are you in? And that last one, relationships, right? right? He challenges like, that we would multiply Jesus, this way of life, through these disciple-making relationships with great intentionality. And Jesus is like, are you in? Because this is what you're signing up for. This is the cost of following me. It's gonna be the greatest journey of your life. And it will not be easy, but it is simple and you will be made into my image, and you will look and live like me. And yet, we find ourselves at the end of every day, we wanna bargain with Jesus. We wanna bargain. He says, go right, and I'm like, ah, I really wanna go left. I don't think we should go right. Do you think we should go right? Well, I don't really care what you think, because I wanna go left, right? And we bargain over and over with Jesus, and what he says is, I want you to reorient, hit recenter, make me the priority in your life, right? Let's come back to this final thing right here. Um, How do we know um, if we hit the mark? That's kind of the question here, right? How do we know if I'm a disciple maker? How do I know uh, if this is something that's actually happening in my life, okay? So there's a lot of different things we could do. I just want to give you one possible way uh, to, to process this idea of am I a disciple maker? And it starts with this idea of time with, right? We started this a couple weeks ago and Jesus enters into the Judean countryside and he gets this time with the disciples, Right? He spends so much time with them, he's rubbing through and he's molding them into his image, right? Uh, this week, uh, Nikki and I were down in um, uh, Minneapolis and uh, we were at Porta, um, oh gosh, I just, totally, um, I just totally forgot the name of the place, oh my goodness. Uh, anyways, it's a great, great Chicago hot dog place, okay? Um, love it. And, and I asked Nikki, I said, hey Nikki, do you know what are the ingredients of a Chicago dog? And she looked at me and she thought, and she goes, um, onion, tomato, 
mustard, pickle spear, sweet relish, um, celery salt, which is so bizarre, and sweet peppers, or spicy peppers, all seven. And I was like, that's incredible. You did it. That's amazing. And she looked at me, she said, you know how I know that? The only reason I know that is because I spent time with you, <laughs> right? I'm wearing her down. Copious amounts of time with. There's this molding and shaping, right? That's what makes this process so relational when Jesus enters into this relationship with his disciples. But it's not just time with people. It's also the rhythms of Cave Table Road. It's the intentionality of this is the way that I live my life. It's not just getting time with, it's, it's authentic conversation with God, it's authentic conversation with family and friends, and it's authentic conversation with the world, the people who don't know Jesus, right? It's this idea of my life is beginning to actually look more and more like Jesus' life. While we were at the same restaurant, I looked out the window and I saw these two guys and I, I thought for sure, these guys have gotta be twins. And then they'd walk into the store, they walk in, I have to do this in front of you, they walk in and I look at them and I go, yep, they've got to be twins. And then I see them walking and the first one walks like this. You know how the second one walked? I mean, it was like, it was like watching deja vu. Like you watch the first one walk and the second one just copied and imitated. It was part, I was like, they're totally twins. They're twins in everything, not just the way they look, but how they walk. It's incredible, right? It's this perfect image of like these, these rhythms that we become just like Jesus. But it's not just time with and it's not just Cave Table Road. It's time with plus the intentionality of Cave Table Road. But there's this other thing here times three, because that's what it means to be a disciple maker. It means to invest myself into other people, generations and generations and generations. We are multiplying a way of life. Ladies and gentlemen, I am not a baker, but this is a recipe, and I'm not a baker, but if I were to bake something in life, um, I could probably do an okay job if I follow the instructions and the recipe. But as soon as I deviate from the, the instructions of the recipe, bad things will probably happen, right? Because I'm not a baker. I need the recipe in order to follow. If I steer from any single one of those, it gets messed up quick. Here's my question. What if you steer away from any one of these things in this recipe? What if you neglect one of these three or you remove it? What if you remove TW? If you remove copious amounts of time with people, guess what? You will not have enough time to rub through and to wear off. It'll be just like hitting like this. But TW rubs and molds. You need time. If you remove Cave Table Road, then you remove the intentionality of that. And if you remove any generation, then eventually it dies out. Do you see the difference, right? If I remove any piece of this, it's like handing a puzzle down the generations with missing pieces, and people are ne inevitably gonna fill in the gaps. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus, because I don't have it in front of me. I don't see it, I don't have the pattern. This is the recipe, this is the pattern. I'm gonna read this, read this quote to you guys. I, I just love this, and we'll kind of end with this. 
It says, being a follower of Jesus requires us to look at the whole of his life, his birth, his childhood, his ministry, how he spoke to people, where he ate, where he rested, and where he performed miracles. Being a follower of Jesus means embracing a blessing found in the Mishnah, a Jewish commentary, and here's what it says, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Do you remember the line, learn to follow your rabbi so closely that the dust from his sandals clings to your garments? I love I love the insight in this. So here's what, here's what Oshita Moore says. She says, so while the blood of Jesus covers my sins, I want the dust from his sandals to cover my life. That's a Christ follower. Wow, that's powerful. So powerful. Guys, you and I will never do this perfectly. We never will do it perfectly. But Jesus isn't concerned with that. What he's saying to us as disciples is follow me. Reorient yourself around me. Keep hitting the re-center button. Following Jesus is not easy, but it is simple. Following Jesus is not easy, but it is simple. And I want to ask you this question. We're going to do a time of communion. I want to ask, what are you multiplying? This is a big question. This is the big question. What am I multiplying in life? Guys, I know the scope of that is huge. I totally get it. But here's the vision. What if you and I, as individuals and collectively as a church, you and I, we together, as we were following Jesus, that we each reoriented our approach to geography and time and disciple-making relationships in the way that Jesus calls us to. Right? Think, about, think about that way that we would become a church, continue to grow as a church who continues to look and live more like Jesus every single day. Right? Imagine the impact and the joy of being in that kind of a community. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we uh, wrap up uh, this morning, just in our, our sermon time, as we're going to move into a, a time uh, of communion in this, Lord, I pray that, that each of us would continue to see Jesus with fresh eyes, that we would not see Jesus as a commodity to be consumed or a commodity to be marketed, but that we would see Jesus as someone who is wholeheartedly, deservedly as someone who can be followed with all of our heart. And Lord, what joy it is to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus, not just in belief, but also in mission. And so, Lord, may we continue as a church to take up the mantle of the gospel in the broken world that we live in. And may we be Christ followers, not simply Christians. These, I'd rather be Christians, but that we would wholeheartedly long to be Christ followers in the deepest of ways. And so, Lord, strengthen us this morning. Give us any grace that we need in this space. In your name we pray. Amen.